Hey guys, welcome back to Dudes on a Couch. It's your boy here, Alex, and Christian, Travis, <laughs> and I'm Matt. And guess what? We got some really big fucking news today. We got shift. No. No, what the fuck? No, 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 this was supposed to be it. This was supposed to be it. Fuck. Fuck. No, what the fuck just fucking happened to me? What the fuck? The gamer gunk theory was looking solid. So finally, I had to verify my findings. I consulted Swagmaster Doritos and asked if he checked his disc for any dirt, fingerprints, scratches, or anything else significant while the moderation team had been working with him to solve this case. And he messaged me back with this. As it turns out, one of Swag's friends had given him some pretty poor advice on how to clean discs. For all those years, he was licking them clean and wiping them down with a rag. Are you fucking kidding? Dude, fucking, that's bullshit. That's fucking bullshit. Alex, you're on cue. All right. Well, uh, welcome to Dudes on a Couch. Has not disappointed so far. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Um, do, do you prefer that we just call you Shift? Yeah, that's how everybody calls me, so you can go for that. All right. All sounds right, cool. good. Yeah, we were, like, having a debate earlier because we're, like, we don't even know his real name. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, My guess was Anthony. Shift is fine. <laughs> yeah. Understandable. Understandable. Um, yeah, so again, welcome to the show. Um, and uh, we can get to it. I know Travis had, had some questions. Yeah, so like, I'm Christian. I'm that's Matt. Matt. And that's Travis. And then this is Alex. Hey. Okay, Christian all the way on the left. Uh, yeah. Travis in the red shirt. Alex in the... The brown and white shirt yeah, yeah. on the right. Yeah, got um again. Matt. Matt. <laughs> it's gonna take me. A, it's gonna take me a few tries. I'll, that's okay. That's fine. I'm awful with names too. I understand. Yeah. So I think we wanted to start with. I'm sure you get asked this pretty often. I'm definitely seeing it in the chat quite a few times. So I'm gonna try to word it in a way that's like not annoying. Um, is there a certain aspect? of battle like mechanic trick glitch whatever it is that like really keeps you going and wanting to play this every day well at the start what really got me into replaying even replaying the game in the first place uh, like way back in the beginning i saw a uh, have you guys seen documentary at all like the, the yeah i saw i've seen the first two parts yeah i kind of touched on it a little bit but i didn't want to dwell, dwell on it but what got me into the game in the first place was uh, was cruise boosting, right? That's that's the one where you you track your speed and you can run faster. Right. Obviously, now we're we're going way faster than we were like five years ago. But initially, that's what got me to say, you know what? I should replay this game, see if I still like it, and I could try some of these things I'm seeing in this the speed run. And eventually, that turned into you know trying the stuff during the casual playthrough, saying, you know what? I kind of want to see if I can learn the other stuff, and then it spiraled into let's see how fast I can beat the game. So that, that's what kind of got me into it. And over the past five years, the game's just changed so much and so frequently. It just kind of, it's kind of like having like a constant, you know, like, like a patch, you know, like they're, it feels like they're almost planned releases with the kind of stuff that gets found in this game. Right. I don't know how long it's going to last for, but I think the stuff we have now is fun enough to keep it interesting for a long time after we stop finding things. Definitely. Like maybe like back in like 2019 was the last time we found like any major tech, but <coughs> like, 
applications for it, the, the stuff that we already know being reused and used to find new ways of playing the game without having to find any like brand new glitches or anything like that has kept us going since again, like all of last year, all of this year so far, pretty much all the same stuff, but just being used in different ways. So right. the game just kind of has this way of just refreshing itself. So it doesn't really get boring, honestly. It's it's unique in that regard. You guys ever seen like um like the 3D Zelda speed runs on the N64, like Ocarina of Time and those? Uh, I have game's, game's got a similar phenomenon where people are always finding new stuff and the routes are always changing. So I can't say for sure whether like it'll it'll be as interesting if we stop finding stuff, but it hasn't happened yet and it probably won't happen at any point just because the game has so much depth to it. Right. I've even noticed that like I started watching and I found out about all of this just last year, obviously with like rehydrated. And then I found the documentary and was like, Oh, I had no idea that this was even a thing. Um, and I feel like even just in the last year of that, I've noticed the game has changed a fair amount, like not like significantly, but the routes change and things that are interesting. Yeah. The biggest find this year, funny enough, wasn't even like finding something in the game. Is finding something out of the game with the whole scratching the disc thing yeah, you know? yeah yep so that didn't even like cause new strats to be found well it was it was going to lead down that road with you know scratching the disc in certain spots to make the lag clips work in some areas but we decided to do away with that and switch to hard disc and that by eliminating the lag clips altogether by being on hard disc a bunch of new opportunities and possibilities opened up from not being able to do something. So even when you take something away from the game, you can still find that you know, it's still pretty fun to play. This keeps it, another thing that keeps it fresh is like, it's not, we're just we're not just playing all just any percent beat the game as fast as possible, 100% get everything as fast as possible. There are plenty of other ways to play the game as well. Right. Like if you look on the main boards, there's like the NG plus category that's been popular in the past for people. You start with the bubble bowl and cruise bubble unlock so you can cruise boost the entire time. There's a switchless category now where you beat the game without switching to any other characters the entire time, which is still funny enough, even possible because the game is so broken. So there are just right. so many different ways of playing. Yeah, I've seen JB do a few of those. Yeah, it's pretty nuts. It's, that stuff's really cool, honestly. I, don't, I personally don't have that much interest in grinding those kinds of categories, but it is cool okay. to see them have their own like niche audience. Right. But the game just got so many different ways of playing where if you just take away like one element of it, like cruise boosting or take away like SBA, the whole game just changes. Kind of just never gets old, honestly. Um, you mentioned something um, like the stuff away from the game that you found that you guys can do. Um, we had a long conversation last week on the show about the catch-up theory. <laughs> um, <laughs> how does something like that be found? Like how or how do you find stuff like that? Honestly, stuff like that really gets found by having some kind of a desire to solve something that is so strong that you eventually just go to any length to, to get it done. Because what was going on is that we found these new hard drives and um, we, we're finding more and more about these things even now after we, you know, we obsoleted them by allowing the hard disk. Like somebody was saying that they were like playing on, on that, the Samsung B drive and like things weren't loading in properly or they get like random loading screen crashes and their disks were getting scratched and burned up. Like it's, it's just a disaster. So we were found, we were finding on these drives that the lag clips were not consistent for some people. And we, we knew that the guy Swagmaster Doritos in the video that I made 
he had the the disc that was like messed up and the, the the drive combination with the disc like for some reason that was making his lag clips work quickly and he wasn't getting many crashes or longer loading screens because even on the ones that i was testing i was still like occasionally like maybe a couple of times per stream getting like an extra five seconds on a loading screen so it wasn't even perfect and we were kind of just playing a, a risk reward whether you know you would save time with the run if you you know, didn't get a, a slow loading screen throughout the entire time or not. So we eventually just said, screw this. Like, we're just going to try to, you know, figure out what else we can do to to make this possibly consistent that's accessible because we're not playing the lottery with this. You know, we don't want people to have to buy like five Xboxes and like try to find one that gets the fast lags and the fast loads. So I eventually just said, you know what? I, I feel like this might have something to do with the disc. So I started playing around with the disc and what do you know? Like we figured that out. And then we, you know, from there, we just, just realized, okay, well, it's fingerprints work, but what works more effectively is the uh, the scratches. And that was going to lead down the road of, you know, defiling discs to go faster, which is, you know, it's going to make the hobby less accessible, literally destroying copies of the game. So we decided to eventually move to hard disk, which I think made, made a lot more sense, honestly. Especially because yeah. as, as we go deeper down, you know, like by, by 2030, most of these disk drives are probably going to be shot anyway. Like you said with, like, with the different hard drives and stuff, like how many Xboxes did you go through to <laughs> find that out? <laughs> uh, this year alone or all the years put together? Because that's that's a whole different story. There's, there's, <laughs> well, there's, a, there's a part of the documentary book. that I didn't include because I thought it was too much information. The, the video was already an hour and a half and I wanted to cut it off. Yeah, but yeah. there was a part around like late 2016 where there was a rumor floating around that the crystal xboxes they're like xbox releases that had like different like uh plastic shells on them there was a rumor started by one of the runners konosumi because he had been a part of many other speedrunning communities before that i think it was like they said like the halo speedrunners or some community had found that the crystal xboxes were supposedly faster than normal ones so then i started going out and buying all the different colors of xboxes to test them <laughs> And that turned out to not make a difference. And we, and like, as you know, in the video, I explained that we eventually found out that the newer models were the fastest, but that didn't include the, the Samsung V drives, which we overlooked. So yeah, all in all, I have multiple crates full of these things. I think I've had at least 10 of them. Decent. But I admire to, your uh, way though. Now that we know what to do, I'm trying to give some away now. Uh, Swagmaster Doritos actually... He tried to do a hard drive swap and it bricked his system. So I'm going to give him one of the ones that I have here. That's cool. That's that's the plan for that. That's awesome. Probably give some away when, you know, the pandemic simmers down. And we start going to events again. I'll be able to give away some in person. So just get rid of them. Get yeah, more people yeah. on the game and, you know. Yeah, that'll be really cool. I was playing on a PS2. So it was a little rough. Yeah. <laughs> surprisingly it runs really well for a ps2 game like compared to most games especially even licensed games of the era like 60 fps like it runs 60 pretty decently it's not that bad honestly yeah i just i feel like most people in the chat were just saying that it was very dark and slow yeah but you know gamecube is honestly just as dark and the, the loading screens aren't that much slower i think the ps2 version is better than the gamecube version barring the whole loading time stuff yeah the ps2 versions on that little compact disc and it's got like the compressed audio and stuff which is much less pleasurable to play gamecube version also has like i know we're like kind of going off topic a little bit but the gamecube version has this glitch in it where if you jump sometimes it inputs two jumps at the same time so you'll have like instances where people are trying to platform and they'll just like 
jump and then it instantly jumps again the frame later and they just fall. That's that's awesome. another reason why the GameCube version is super annoying to speed run on. But the that Xbox version is so much more that. accessible now because of the hard drive stuff. So maybe we'll be seeing people go straight to Xbox now, especially with the practice codes and stuff that we have. There's not much of a reason to play on Dolphin anymore if you can just get your hands on an Xbox. That's all you need. Dolphin is GameCube emulator, right? Yep. And a lot of people would use that to practice in the past because of like save states and stuff. But now some of the guys in the Jet Set Radio Future community have taken interest in our game and they are working on a practice mod where you can like, you have like save warp so you can like set your position and warp back to it. And you can like warp to all the levels now, thanks to another modder in the community named Tetrax. He's doing like a full game mod where you have like little convenient level mods to practice in. Or the community is just having like a renaissance over this whole hard disk switch thing. It's really cool. That's really cool. Yeah. Travis said you were basically at the top of the game. I think that's a fair analysis, right? Yeah. Yeah. So that's fair. Is there a point where you're kind of just like, what's the point of just beating my own record? Or well, if I if I thought that, I probably would have realized it five years ago. You know, <laughs> <laughs> just have fun playing. There's always something to do with it. You know. Yeah. More like trying to prove to myself that I can do it. So is it is it more keeps getting harder? So it's just a bigger challenge every time, and I'm already so deep. It's like you know why stop now? You know. So it's more of like an innovation thing rather than a, a time thing at this point. Yeah, and it's entertaining. Like we all got our hobbies. You know, you got people who play an instrument for like forty years. So I don't know <laughs> if I'll be true. able to play forty years from now because it's so rough on the hands. But I never really thought about it that way. But that's a that's a good point. Yeah. Because I don't know anything about speed There's so much to do in these 3D platformers. I know the genre is like kind of old. It's a bit dated. Where back in the day, a lot of these games, like you get like a like a franchise that wants to have a game on a console. It's like, what are you gonna do? Oh, it's just 3D platformer. You know, throw some stuff down, jump on it. You know, just just show off some some gameplay mechanics and collect stuff. You know, that's just how it was back in the early 2000s. But there are some gems out there with some some really good you know gameplay mechanics and movement and level design that make it really fun to play. I mean, the, the original, like the, the one that popularized the entire thing, Super Mario 64, people are still playing that. You have people who were born 10 years after the game came out to be running that game. There's just, there's so much longevity in the genre when it comes to like competition, you know? So the whole focus was on the gameplay back then, not much on like the storytelling and, and you know, the, the, the storyline elements and so forth. It was all just about the game. Right. And, even though the genre is like, you know, if you play these games like SpongeBob nowadays, it's like, yeah, you know, it's all right. It's pretty fun. It's like got some nice references to the show. It's colorful. It, it performs pretty well. But ultimately, these games are just way better age when it comes to speed running. That's really helping preserve the genre, in my opinion. Yeah, because like when he when Travis was explaining it to me at, at first, because like I don't know anything about speed running, really. Like I, I just played Rehydrated because I I played it originally on the GameCube. Now that I know that that's the worst version, I might go back on the Xbox. But um, I, he was like explaining like how passionate like the community was, and I was like, I don't see it, you know, because like I'll play Rehydrated every now and again, but like I'll just get yeah, it's kind of tough to see on Rehydrated because it's like you ever seen like the the stuff on YouTube for like the Zelda games and the Mario games? It's like new HD remake of of Mario yeah. 64 and it's like like a guy who's like a fan of the game and had like the assets and like toning them up and put them in unity it's basically the same thing where your hydrated is just an unreal engine version of this game which was made on renderware which was like kind of like the old unreal engine back in the day a lot of different studios use it to make their games quickly but Rehydrated kind of misses the mark when it comes to the gameplay mechanics it gets the environments pretty nicely you know it's, it looks it looks good I usually just say, you know, it looks good and it looks good, but the gameplay mechanics aren't really as refined as the original 
for I for found some... it to be really stiff. Yeah, I mean, they, they definitely put more focus on the actual graphics than the actual gameplay, which seems to kind of just be the, the trend for games nowadays. I've noticed yeah. that, you know, they mostly if you can sell a screenshot, you can sell a game. Yeah. But, yeah. you know, for some reason back in the day, they put a lot of effort into the animations and the, well, to be fair, they put a lot of effort into the, the dialogue animations this time, but the platforming animations and so forth felt a little bit, you know, like stiff, like you said, you know. But I liked I liked replaying Rehydrated because of how you can experience the dialogue with the other characters. I thought that was pretty well done. The dialogue in the game is definitely one of the parts that always kept me coming back to it. The dialogue's so good. In the original game? Yeah. Yeah, that's definitely very well done in the remake too. But I just I just wish they could have spent more time on the you know the, the platforming elements, right? The, the environments. I, st- I still think the game is fun though. Like it may be scuffed, but it's a pretty enjoyable game. I'd still say, like, if you want to experience the best way to experience these games that are, you know, they're like basic 3D platformers, even like Mario 64, people like nowadays, like, there's like a little bit of hate for that game I've seen from the casual community. They say, like, why is the camera so hard to control? Like, it's so clunky, but like, it's it's not. Like, you got to just give these games time and learn the strats for them. And they're really fun to play. They, like, they may be a little bit dated in the way they're, they control, but once you get used to it, it's a lot of fun. I always I always say the same thing for Smash too, like the like Melee, the GameCube version of Smash. Very similar where when you first pick it up, it doesn't feel intuitive. But if you give it like a couple of days of your time and like really focus on learning how the how the game should be played, you have a lot of fun playing these games. They're all this, they're all one and the same in that way. The platformers and you know like the early two thousands games, all like that. So uh I don't want to veer too far off topic, but uh I know it's been talked about. I haven't heard your thoughts on it, and I'm just too curious to ask or not to ask. And I just want to know your thoughts on skin theory. Oh, I've seen that. <laughs> I think I used that to fall asleep one night. I think that tells you a little bit about what I think about it. Yeah, we, we all kind of blew it off. I think it's an elaborate troll. It's, a, it's just a shit post, in my opinion. But okay, you don't, you don't think serious. that they were, like, serious? I think the guy was just having fun. I think that's fair because yeah. it didn't convince me in any way. Yeah, it was like really entertaining to watch, but like none, of, I didn't buy any of it. I wasn't like <laughs> that. Like there's no damning out of evidence. Yeah, I, I like the videos that like you, you, you got, you think to yourself, like this is probably a troll, and then you watch it and it ends up being serious. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Probably people thought about the ketchup video. <laughs> I thought I thought that when I first watched your doc, yeah. Yeah, it's funny too. I think that it like some like subreddit where people do like um, it's like it's like a half chance that it's like a shit post and like a half chance that it's legit, and it got posted on there. And people, it's, it's that's the thing is like people people don't expect a game like this to be taken seriously, but really the subject matter has not much to do with you know how much care the devs put into it. Like I said in the in the doc. Like, um, not just the guy who was the lead software dev, but a lot of those guys put, like, 60-hour work weeks in above and beyond what they had to do just because they liked working on the game. They actually had um, some of the voice actors from the show do their messaging machine for a while. They had, like, the leave a message with, like, Tom Kenny's voice and stuff like that, but cool. Nickelodeon made them take it down at some point during development. They were pretty involved. Um, there's, there's actually a guy in the community who has a copy of the game signed by Tom Kenny, and he did say that he remembered working on that game specifically. And like for all the SpongeBob games that are out there, you know, it's pretty cool that he remembered that one. Right. Cause there's quite a few and there's, there's, a there's quite a few that are pretty bad too. 
Yeah, and this one wasn't even the first one. Like, yeah, I've, I've heard I've heard comments about like it's a SpongeBob game. Like, how could it not be successful because it's SpongeBob, such a big franchise? But it's really not true. There was like the Lost Spatula game on the PS One or something like that. I don't remember. I like, don't think I've even heard of Super Sponge, right? Super Sponge. And then there was the Revenge of the Flying Dutchman, which you know I, we all we all know how that one went, but. <laughs> the battle was not expected to be something good it just ended up being good and it kind of jump-started the spongebob video game franchise and like every spongebob game after that kind of took inspiration or i like to say clickbaited the game's um yeah. elements in, in some way after that like they they made some like random activision game plankton's robotic revenge which is like they were they were really trying to bait people into thinking that it was some kind of a sequel to fighting the robots and it ended up being a crap game you know, Creature from the Krusty Krab, um, they definitely took a lot of inspiration from Battle for Bikini Bottom. Same with Truth or Square, which was also made by the same studio that made Battle, but they reused a lot of assets from BFBB and the movie game together. So it had a lot of influence on the, the SpongeBob video game franchise from that point on. Kind of allowed it to become one of the standout cartoon franchises. Because like when I was a kid, like on Nickelodeon, I watched like Rugrats and, you know, um, fairly odd parents and jimmy neutron but those games didn't really get games like the spongebob franchise i mean yeah i guess yeah. like the fairly odd parents had like one good game i think the shadow showdown game haven't played that one but I don't jimmy neutron, my, my, my streams forced me to play so many of those games on stream <laughs> the, the, the walls but oh they're so bad there's something about the spongebob franchise that, like i think the battle just set the bar so high that everybody after wanted like they, they felt like the need to try and compete against it did you ever play Attack of the Twonkies? Oh, I actually did. My stream made me play that. <laughs> <laughs> did I miss it? I, I think Damn. it had potential. I think it had potential, but it's just just boring to play. It does feel kind of repetitive. Yeah, but you could tell that they the people who made it, you know, they they were definitely fans of the show. Like you right. can tell when somebody like that when they get it. There there are some games like Revenge of the Flying Dutchman. When you play it, you're like, do they even like know what these characters are? yeah like, that the game. first like five minutes of the of the game like spongebob sells Derry, gary down a river like he's willing to let the dutchman take him as like a slave and then the flying dutchman himself is like a genie in a bottle it just doesn't even it's not even that's not spongebob like, they didn't even watch an episode of the show there's like an interesting documentary about the creation of that game too i know I there's a guy there's a guy who um yeah, that one, it's it's pretty biased, but if you, like, kind of, like, sift through it and take the information for what it is, like, what I've interpreted from it is, like, the guys were, like, way in over their head trying to develop that game. They had, like, other projects going on. They didn't fully understand how to use the engine, so it just turned out to be a disaster. Yeah. But there's actually another documentary. I can't remember. I think – I can't remember the guy's name who's working on it, but he interviewed Heavy Iron Studios, and he's making, like, a – like how BFB was developed documentary. I'm kind of interested in watching that when it comes out. Yeah, that sounds really cool. I can't remember the guy's name though. Um, so how long have you been streaming for this? Uh, since it's actually been five years this month. Okay, congrats. Yep. Now, Thanks. did you start streaming when you started speedrunning this game or yep. was that something that came down the line? No, this is the first game I streamed, still streaming it. Um, but like, did you still speed run it before that? Yeah, I, I had to learn the game and I didn't start streaming until, well, pretty much how I got, I got into streaming was 
I was in college and I had a laptop, right? Because I would go back and forth between home and my my apartment at the time. So I wanted to record my runs, but you know, like back then when I first started playing, I was getting like two hour times, hour and 40 minute times. I didn't want to delete my runs, but at the same time, I wanted to, you know, I wanted to be able to stream on the laptop as well. I didn't have enough storage. So I was like, okay, I guess I'll stream them and I'll save them on Twitch or re-upload them to YouTube. So yeah. I got into streaming through that and I wasn't really aware that there was much of a community for the game at the time because there were some people who were like fans of the game back from when Cole played who were still kind of around and still like kind of passively watching. And there was that guy Fuff I talked about in the documentary who was the world record holder at the time. He'd just gotten it when I first got into the game. So he was like streaming a little bit and he was, some people were watching him, but it, it kind of, it was kind of just a coincidence, you know, it, it all kind of came together where we all met one another and people started to like notice like the competition for the game. Yeah. And from there it just grew a much larger audience because people were curious naturally, like people would, again, like it's, it's those things where people think like this has to be a joke. Why are people taking it seriously? And they watch it and they actually get hooked on it. Yeah. Just, um, I don't know, just lucky, I guess, but it's a good game. So strangely a good game. Yeah. Uh, how long did it take you to put the documentary together? Good question. Because I can talk a lot about this. Okay. <laughs> I, all right. This well, might last us the next 25 minutes. So well, that's documentary like me. is something that I plan to do. Like I it was something that I talked about. You guys know Average Trey, right? Super Mario Sunshine guy. He's yeah. made his own documentaries on his game. I talked to Trey because like we met in 2016 back when battle was getting big. He was like a fan of Cole and Hazel back in the day. Like he he played the game when he was a kid and he watched them speed run it. And then when I came around, we became friends naturally. So when I met him at GDQ, we were talking about like, it'd be really cool to make like some kind of a video, like a world record history video on this game someday. And I still felt like, you know what? Like a lot of people think that 59 is the end, but it's going to get much faster from here. And, you know, we're now we're like almost 15 minutes faster, but you know, it's, aside from that, um, I was like, okay, I need to, like, we need to continue playing this game until I feel inspired to do something like that, you know? So time goes on. I think, like, later that same year, uh, Trey ended up making his Super Mario Sunshine Any Percent History video. And, you know, that inspired a lot of people to play that game. And, it, you know, like, it really helped give a spotlight to some of the players like Nindide, who were really, really good at the game but weren't one of the more popular streamers and people gained a lot of respect for those runners who weren't as well known. It's like, it's, it sounds ridiculous, but a lot of the time the world record holder in a game is not the most popular player. And it's a shame because, you know, especially in, in Dida, he's like the greatest of all time when it comes to that game. So I thought, you know, like it's a shame that people are going to watch this game and watch me play it, but they're not going to know like back in the day, like who Cole was or who Hazel was and who Fuff was and all these great players who played. So that I definitely drew a little bit of inspiration from the fact that Trey made that video because I, I really felt like it was a great way to, you know, like kind of bridge that gap and, and show people like there are a lot of people who work on these games who don't get enough credit. So I, I saw what that did for those players who played um, Sunshine. I was like, you know what, eventually someday when I do this, I'm definitely going to try to give the due attention to most of the people who, even if they played for a couple of months, just make sure they get their fair share in the spotlight. So along with that, um, people have asked if I took inspiration from Summoning Salt, but I've never actually watched a single video of his. I try to avoid watching those kinds of videos because I don't want to get too inspired by them and make them not my own creations. You know, I like, I like doing my own style. You can probably tell from watching them. They're very different than whatever those kinds of videos are like. But eventually to, to get back on topic, 
when I got the first 49 after SBA was found and we made some optimizations in 2019, that was when I realized like, okay, I feel like this is a good stopping point. Like this is a good time to say like, I want to talk about everything that happened up until this point, because the game's history started in like 2010 for speed running and then talking about that whole decade. And then when at that time we did know rehydrated was coming out the next year. So I'm like, okay, it's a whole decade. Let's just make this the scope. But I was kind of, um, I wasn't really confident enough in myself to really take it on just yet because my video editing skills, like I, I feel, I felt like they weren't on par to really do something like that. And I was also really busy with speed running and all the stuff was coming out with rehydrate and I was making videos on that. I got invited to the studio to play test the game with them. You know, like a lot of stuff was going on at that time. And then um, you guys know the pandemic hit in early 2020. So I was at the time, even during the pandemic, I had just finished up like a two, a two and a half month project working on the tutorial video, how to speed run BF to be in under an hour. So like that was like not a very, um, I actually didn't script that video. That was all just, you know, I just kind of sat and talked like I was sitting on my stream explaining tricks to people. And it's I very good, it. by the way. I have watched it. Thanks. Yeah. It's it really actually, cool that someone took the time to like really let people in and figure it out. Yeah. The thing is, like, I just been making tutorials for years. I was like my 10th tutorial or something on the full game or something like that. And I, I just had so much experience sitting down, like explaining how things work that I didn't even write a script for it, like I said. So like that whole video th is three and a half hours unscripted. But the next project, like the, obviously for a documentary worth with a full narrative and stuff, you can't really do that, you know? So right, right. I'm like, okay, the editing quality has to be way higher because it's made for entertainment, not educational purposes. Like, it's cool that people found this tutorial and said, like, it's entertaining, but it wasn't made to be entertaining. It was made to be educational. So for the documentary, it had to be educational and entertaining. So I had to sit down and figure out, like, how am I going to, you know, iron out these editing skills, get the script done, and get a narrator as well because i wanted i want someone to narrate it because i'm part of the story i don't want to sit and talk about it myself in the third person you know right so i had to figure all this out and we had no idea when rehydrated was coming out this was like march and um we thought like maybe it was coming out in like august or september uh, as you know it came out in june so the original plan was to get the entire thing done before rehydrated came out and um that obviously didn't pan out because it got announced so early, but the first uh, first few weeks of work on the documentary started in mid-March of 2020. It took me three weeks to fully research and write the script, which came out to, um, I think this sounds vaguely right, around 50,000 words and what would have been a, like over 200 paces double space, excuse me, wow. double, two, 200 pages, yeah, 250 pages double spaced and 50,000 words or something like that. Wow. So it was a very bare bones thing. It was only made to be purely informative. But um, then I got my friend SM Loader on the case. And he, um, if you guys don't know anything about him, he was actually a finalist for the, the Melee documentary that just came out, Metagame. He was like a top contender to become the narrator for that documentary. And he'd just been turned down. So I'm like, well, I've known this guy for years. I should just get him to do it with me. So then we ended up taking on the um, the SpongeBob documentary on our own. And I showed him the script. And there was definitely some parts where like, like we, we wanted to, the plan was to go through and edit it to like get it to his liking where he can talk and it feels natural for him. But as we kept going on, um, 
he really opened me up to being a little bit less serious in some parts. You remember yeah. the, the cruise boosting yeah. skit? That was basically just his improv that we were doing in a call. So we were talking, going back and forth about like ideas for like funny stuff we can do. And he just kind of did that off the cuff. And I'm like, you know what? Write that down. That's good. So <laughs> as time went on, we started being a little bit more and more like he really got me to kind of like open up my shell and and take some parts of the documentary a little bit less seriously. Obviously, like I had to like have him on a handle a little bit because sometimes he want to make make a joke or make or make something funny in a spot where it was supposed to be serious and want to undermine what we were talking about. Right. Like he wanted to do, he wanted to do a streets one twelve reference for um for Cole's one twelve, and I'm like, we gotta be respectful here because Cole, like this is his final serious run, and we want to you know give him the due respect he deserves. So like there were some parts where like it's kind of like the yin and yang, where like we had like our we have very similar senses of humor, and we both like together we could figure out where to make things serious and where to make things funny. So he was a very big part in um in like that documentary and like getting some of the funny skits in like the vine sauce parody or not vines uh, visa i always get those two mixed up the v sauce parody with outrageous josh like that was um he actually wrote and directed that based off of like i, I kind of explained how the trick worked and he took my explanation like the paragraph explaining the prawn skip and he kind of like molded it into like his in his um, vision of michael v sauce and, he got, and then we got josh to do it and it was hilarious with the whole like v sauce thing and josh giving his own spin on it it, it was a good time yeah, but of course like fantastic. i got my own like opportunities to like do my own skits and so forth like the soup the international circle jerk of super acquaintances where we got <laughs> uncle al and i i reached out to him not knowing what to expect but he's a really really cool guy like seriously like one of the nicest guys I've ever worked with on the internet was excited to work on it with us with the the whole um the announcer fish um voice and then I got my friend Ringo Tongo, one of my buddies we speed ran with like five years ago. And we did the uh, the Eminem parody because that's always been like a little joke in our friend group making fun of Eminem for taking himself too seriously and then asking. That's a pretty good joke. Yeah, it's it's it, it was it was funny. So really, really fun working and like having the little like nods to like community memes and like little cultural things that you would only get it if you were there. There are a little there are all sorts of those kind of little Easter eggs hidden around the video like that. But yeah, Loader was a huge part in helping making that documentary to what it is. We worked very well together. But um, to answer your question, um, the the first part of the documentary after it took three weeks to write the script for the whole thing, it took me a week and a half to learn how to keyframe and make the whole video. So like that whole span was just a week and a half. The first keyframe I ever did on Adobe Premiere was in that video. So I was kind of just learning as I was going. And it turned out to be okay. People didn't know what to expect, but when they watched it, they're like, holy shit, we need the next one. So I'm like, okay, the next one, I, we, at that point, like when, when the part, when part one released or sometime around there, we got the announcement trailer for Rehydrated. It's like, oh shit, this game's coming out like three months earlier than we thought it would. So we got no time to work on the rest of this, like either, because now like part one come out, the standards were extremely high. And if I were, if I was going to squeeze in the final three parts before the doc, the doc before Rehydrated came out, we'd have like, like 50 days to make three videos covering like another half decade and it's like it wasn't going to happen unless it was complete crap so i'm like all right we're just going to take this time and really give part two the time that it needs to be a, a perfect video and to this day i still think it is like my best video by far being an hour and a half long with like the so many easter eggs spread throughout it and like because i was i was there like i was i was there during that time and i know like what it was like just and to me it's like the perfect like time capsule to go back and really 
put yourself put yourself in the headspace of what it was like to be part of the community during that time. And of course, the bloopers are just rich. Like those guys did a great job. That the outrageous Josh thing where he did the "Hey, B sauce, Josh here." That took like eight hours to get that take. Like we worked really, really hard. To, to, we we pushed him to his limits on that. He, he did a great job. It was so fun working with those guys, and I can't wait to work on the next one. It's gonna be good. So, is there um, a time frame for part three? Not yet, because the game's changing so much, and I'm still right. Right. It. Yeah, it's like. I want to, cause like th- we're still keeping the scope at 2019. We don't want to go past that. Um, if I want to continue, I'm probably going to make a second series talking about the stuff that happened after, but right. it's, the, it's the story of how the game got revived and then like, like rehydrated coming out. And we had so much more influence on that game than we realized even last year. We, we learned when the game came out that they actually did use the industrial park editor that this community made to import the models to unreal engine. So that's how they were able to get it done so quickly is they were they just they used our tool to import the game and then they molded over it with the new with the new like textures and stuff. That's sick. Like they kind of smoothed out the models. Yeah, it's it's really cool. We had that much of a part of it. And um, THQ Nordics was really cool with me. They worked with me to kind of promote the game a lot. I think the documentary really helped a lot of people like take notice of it and want to get into the game with the whole like. I think they mutually helped each other a lot. Like the content surrounding the community and rehydrated itself bounced off each other quite a bit. And then the whole, uh, the day one, like warped the end of the game glitch where you can just use two controllers to skip the entire game in eight seconds. Like that just kind of put the cherry on top. The game was just such a sensation when it first came out. That was pretty funny to find. It died quickly, but it was really fun while it lasted. It was a great like finale, which makes sense why we would cut it off there. So yeah, like none of the stuff that's happening now with like the disc slime and shit is going to be included in the documentary, but um, if I make a new series at some point, it'll probably cover like the next five years or something. I don't know. But yeah, maybe at some point this year, I'll have enough time to work on it. It's just I'm still busy trying to optimize with the stuff that we're finding. So right. it's hectic right now. Any percent right now is just a huge puzzle we're trying to put together, which I'm probably going to make a video on pretty soon if you guys are interested in that. So yeah, definitely. A lot of stuff's going on. Oh, for sure. You got four viewers. <laughs> <laughs> Let's go. No, it grows every week and it makes no sense. I'm like, who is watching this? <laughs> <laughs> it's pretty sweet. It, it makes no sense, but it's cool. Uh, yeah. Did you actually... It's like everything that's cool, right? It's, it's crazy until somebody does it. <laughs> um, one last question for you before our time's up. Um, what is the community like? Like, has the community... How has it grown? How has it changed over the years that you've been with it and like what's it like now that's a great question and something that we're definitely going to cover in this the third part of the doc like i know that part two kind of like seems like everything's all like like you know like it's uh, what's what's the term it's like it's like sunshine and rainbows right like everybody's friends and we're all like getting along but there there are some things that happen like when when the community grew so much from 2017 to 2018 there were definitely some problems that occurred with like you know like moderation and like having a a public discord server that didn't really have like basically the motto was like if they want to play the game let them in we didn't really care about what people were saying and doing yeah there wasn't a lot of like you know like accountability so there's definitely some stuff like that we want to talk about how like how a community grows and deals with growing pains and like what kind of culture that can lead to 
if you don't take care of stuff and like keep yourself respectful and stuff like that you know it's it's gonna go it's gonna dive into a lot of these like deeper themes about like you know like growing a stream and like how new people are going to come around with new ideas and new personalities and you got to learn to get along if you want to you know make your community more successful and enjoy the game more more people you know yeah. It's part of it's part of the uh, the whole process. When something gets popular, you gotta just learn to get along with people because you're gonna have a lot of different types of people who don't see eye to eye, and that's that's a very good question. I, I personally, right now, a lot of my closest friends who play the game in the past are not currently active. Like they come in and out, but and there's some like likewise there are some people that I I'm meeting who are you know new to the community or like they've they've watched for a while and they start running at some point that I become good friends with, but. You know, obviously I don't get along with everybody. None of us do, you know, like, yeah. but it's, that's what happens when a community is so big. You know, you start, you meet people that you don't get along with and you meet people become your best friends. You know, it's just how it is. But overall, I think it's pretty, pretty cool. Like pretty respectful. Most part, people are pretty kind to one another and supportive. You know, that's all you can really ask for on the internet. It's not all like people pretend to be friends and stuff, but you know, it's like, I think, I think we handle it pretty maturely for, for what we're dealing with, you know? I have a, I have a question for you as well. Um, probably a weird one but like considering you're like probably one of the most viewed people in the community do you do you feel like you have a little bit of influence on people and how do you keep yourself neutral and like points of contestion and stuff oh absolutely i mean that's another thing we're going to talk about in the, in the next part of the documentary too is like how to be responsible with your influence and stuff which honestly most of the time i tend to just speak my mind like i'm i understand how like if i say something a lot of people hear it and they can you know act on what I say and like take what I say maybe more seriously because of the influence that I have but I think for the most part the people who are involved in the game like the ones who are really involved in the game tend to you know we, we tend to look at one another as equal it's really like a lot of it's like my viewers that I try to not like when I'm streaming I try as hard as I can to you know not stir the pot that much sometimes I slip sometimes you know like I'll say something that you know can start drama but it's hard it's hard it's hard not to man like it's hard to just to be a person especially when you're um you're streaming so much like uh, i have like like sections where i stream for like eight hours a day for multiple weeks you know it's it's hard during that time especially when we're not really getting too much other human interaction right now the past year and a half like we we kind of tend to you know it's it's hard to stay human but also stay responsible yeah, something I still struggle with, but I feel like there's no right or wrong answer to it, you know? Yeah. I think that um, at this point, people have a pretty good idea of who I am as a person. So I trust that people, you know, can take what I say with a grain of salt when I go off the cuff and like start ranting about stuff sometimes, you know? Yeah, at some okay. point, you know, I, I think we all do it. But yeah, I, I back in the past, I used to struggle with a lot of guilt about like, you know, sometimes I'll say something or I'll have an opinion that isn't that popular and I'll question like how it's influenced people. Even like with Rehydrated, I kind of struggled for a while with guilt thinking that, you know, because I didn't enjoy the game, it kind of fell off and people didn't like speed run it for that much long after I stopped playing because there weren't enough people streaming the game. And I kind of felt guilty about that for a while, but you know what, it's like, I'm just a person, you know, I can't, I can't pretend to enjoy something that I don't enjoy. And I can't like, I got, I got to live my own life too. You know, I can't just be obligated to just play the same game every day if I don't enjoy it. Yeah, I've, I've, I've gotten a lot better, better about, about that. Um, there was a day where I was watching you and someone in the chat said that there was one guy on Twitch streaming rehydrated. 
So naturally, he's like, let's go see what this guy's up to. So I talked to him for like two hours, and I was the only person in his chat. And now we just like occasionally play Warzone together. <laughs> Pretty dope. <laughs> that happens all the time, man. Some of my best friends I met through this game, they may not, they may not even play anymore, but you know, there's something about it. A lot of people miss this game. I think a lot of people who like the game have good taste in games or like-minded tastes, if I, if you, I guess if you want to be fair. So like, no, you know, just be unfair. If you don't like it, you're, you're mean. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. The abridged version, more what I, what I, what I said, you know, um, but yeah, we got similar tastes. So we ended up playing games together. You know, met a lot of people through this game. Like I said, who, you know, it just, it's just fun to hang out with them. Yeah. yeah. That's all it's about at the end of the day. You know, the people make the game. If it weren't for the personalities that surround the game, it wouldn't be nearly as fun. Yeah, and it's it's, fun, it's it's funny to say that because, like, obviously, when you, when you look at it objectively, like, it's a great game for, for routing, for glitches, for movement. It's got everything it needs to be a good speed run, you know, low downtime, super fun to play. But at the end of the day, like, who cares if it's not, you know, if the people surrounding it are, you know, not fun to be around. So yeah. I, think, I think it gets better and better every year more more people are coming out of the uh woodwork to to get involved you know there's start people are starting to stream who weren't streaming before yeah it's just fun to see new personalities come around and give the game a shot that's how you build a community that's the big thing about the smash documentary that a lot of people like too is um in my opinion it's aged a little bit but um what really works well with it is how is the forced interactivity you had with a game that didn't have internet support, a multiplayer game, I mean, that didn't have internet support. People had to literally travel in vans to play with other people. So you get all these great moments of just people being people. And that's what's so nice about it. Like it may, the script may be a little bit cringy at times. It may over glorify gamers with like the whole godhood thing and so <laughs> forth. But that's what's, that's what's great about Smash though, because like it has this long history of people just being people. And that's at the end of the day, that's what makes a game a game. Strangely enough, it's hardly even about the game itself. Yeah, I agree. Yeah. Well, I think that about wraps up our time. We have five minutes left. Um, I don't know if you guys have anything else. No, I think that we should just uh, roll out the red carpet. And if Shift has anything that he wants to promo or throw out there he can do that for, for our 30 followers uh, honestly, for, our, for our six viewers <laughs> just, just watch the documentary it's good <laughs> a, lot, a lot of cool people worked on it a lot of a lot of talented people contributed to it we had we had all our own um music composer dude that is really cool make the uh he yeah him and his dad his dad used to be in a band so they they worked together to make a the cover to ramblin man like the rock cover that we did because we, we wanted to avoid copyright yeah. But then it turned out to be like, holy shit, this is sick. Like, we actually <laughs> like this more than the original. So, yeah. A lot of great stuff like that comes out of just, you know, just thinking outside the box, like, instead of just going, oh, we can't do this because it's copyright and whatnot. Yeah. Just figure a way around it. You might like it more. That's your final takeaway from this uh, discussion. That's awesome, cool. man. Give it a try. Well, um, thank you so much for doing this with us. It's been a lot of fun. Yeah, um, no problem. And uh, when you're ready to watch this back, it'll be out on Wednesday. Cool. I'll send you guys the, the playback in the Google Drive as soon as we get off. We appreciate it. All right, man. Love Thanks you, buddy. For, Thanks for being here. Peace. <laughs>